0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chat bot may be your new best friend. But what won't change?
1: Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer
0: flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: You are listening to Going the Distance with Coach John Hughes. John, always a pleasure. Great to chat with you again. Good to talk with you too, George. It's our favorite time of the year, winter, right? Absolutely. I do love winter. I really do. But what I don't like is what
1: we call the shoulder seasons here in Colorado, or also known as the mud seasons. So that's like spring when it's still sloppy wet, but kind of too wet to ride, or fall when it's getting cold, but there's not enough snow to do anything fun. But winter's great.
2: (laughs) Now, our last podcast was on why the off-season should really be the preseason. So what about winter riding? First of all, people vary. Some people really, well, some people enjoy riding in the winter.
1: Some people do it because it's good for them. You know, they've got an event coming up not too far away. But I think everybody should ride some in the winter. And let's back up just a little and review the points I made in the last podcast about the importance of building endurance, because riding in the winter is one of the ways of doing that. So Riding in the winter is base training. It's not racing. One of the very wise maxims is you don't want to be the fastest guy in the winter training rides. You want to be the fastest guy in the summer events. So this is a time to slow down and do base training. So you're building the endurance of your cycling muscles, cycling muscles, emphasize how long they can go. You're building the efficiency of your heart, how much blood it will pump. You're increasing the amount of fat that you burn and decreasing the amount of carbs that you burn at any expenditure level. And that doesn't mean because you're burning more fat, you're losing weight. It's just changing your fuel source. If you want to lose weight, you just got to do more. And you're doing the cycling-specific motion because any other form of cross-training is using your muscles differently than pedaling. So the first and most important reason is, is just to start building your base for summer events. Second one, George and I were talking offline, it's the holiday season, it's pretty easy to eat and drink stuff, and it's easy to put on weight. So, riding is another way of managing your weight. And riding doesn't have to be going out for long rides in the cold. One of the ways I, I get in my, my winter miles and weight management, I run errands on my bike put on more clothes, ride around Boulder, get this, get that, so forth, and so on. Or, boy, it's really crappy out. George knows where I live. It's five miles from my place to Amante's coffee shop. Yeah, okay, I can ride five miles into the coffee shop, get a cup of coffee, and ride back. So there are a lot of ways to do it without having to do really long rides. Now, if you like longer rides, Rondinours USA has two different programs. One is what they call the P-12, which is to, to ride 100K, that is 52.5 miles, every month for 12 months. And there's specific courses you have to do, but you can't do uh, – you, you have to do them – you can do them on whatever day you want, but you do have to do an approved ride. The other one is called the R-12, which is 200K, 125 miles, every month for 12 consecutive months. You can start with whatever month you want. So those are great for motivators, a way to get out and do somewhat longer rides. If you go to www.rusa.org, www.rusa.org, you can check those out. Finally, I've got good friends, Chuck and Krista, back in the DC, Washington, D.C. area. They ride centuries every Saturday and every Sunday, unless it's snowing, because they like doing it. I did one with them, and we were probably out there for nine hours. Now, we weren't riding for nine hours. We stopped and had coffee. We rode in the rain some more. We stopped and had lunch. We rode in the rain some more. We ended up at the nature center. We explored the nature center probably an hour. We got on our bikes and rode back to the finish. So that's another way to do it. Just get out there for camaraderie. Our, our club, Rocky Mountain Cyclist, has rides all year round just because people like to ride together. So for all of those reasons, build your base, manage your weight, camaraderie, and have some structure to what you're doing.
2: You know, I went out today with a small group. It was 39 degrees when we started. It was 36 when we finished because of storm's blowing in. It was starting to snow, which I think is really cool. And I mean that both ways. And I'm looking out the window right now, and it's snowing really hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you recommend people do that? It's cold.
1: Well, first of all, one of the sayings that I love, and before I heard it, was out of Seattle, that there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad gear. You don't have enough gear. So the first thing, the basic principle of staying warm, doing activities in the winter, is layering. You want to start with something called a wicking layer. So the purpose of it is to get the sweat away from your skin. So lightweight, polypro, t t-shirt, wool undershirt, not cotton, because that tends to absorb it, but a wicking layer. And then over that, you want one or more insulating layers. And what's important about them is they not be tight, but they want to be kind of loose, because what's storing the heat is the air, not the fabric. And then finally, on top of the insulating layers, you have something windproof and or waterproof depending on on where you're living. And that applies to any part of the body. When when I go skiing, I've got on a wicking layer, my long underwear, and then I've got on top of that on my legs, I've got windproof ski pants. It's very windproof. And I've also got a pair of mountaineering really windproof pants I can put on. On the top, a wicking undershirt, uh, one or more insulating layers, and then a choice of park depending on conditions. And the same thing for your hands, for example. It can be really cold out there and you're trying to eat something and you take your gloves off and you freeze. Well, I wear several pair of gloves. I've got really thin glove liners and I can do anything with them on. Then I wear heavier gloves over that. And they, the first one serves as a bit of a wicking layer, keep my hands dry and then insulating, so I can pull off the heavy gloves and I can still eat and so on. The most important thing, this is a trick I learned from, yeah, boy, probably a dozen years ago, riding the Brevet with a guy in our club, Mike. And it was in the summer, and it doesn't snow in the summer. Boy, we sure had hellacious thunderstorms and everybody was getting really soaked. And Mike and another guy, John, pulled into a Best Western and got a motel room for an hour and a half and took showers and got warmed up. And Mike had with him a dry, wool, long-sleeved undershirt. Killer in those conditions. He put that on, and put his other clothes on. He was happy. So that's the first thing that I would carry with you, in addition to what you need. Uh, and it doesn't have to be wool, I'm partial to that. But But something extra to put on your torso. Second, so always start out with more than you think you're gonna need. It was 39 when you started today, George. It was 36 when you finished. But what if it had been 20? Were you prepared?
2: No, I would have been really cold.
1: Yeah. And and this time of year, tuck in an extra windbreaker or whatever it takes. And then think about your extremities, your feet, your hands. Your head isn't exactly an extremity, but it is farther from your heart, so it's harder to get blood there. How are you going to keep them warm? um is if you live in moderate we lose
2: most of our
1: heat we, we lose much of our heat something like 50 percent of our heat through our head so keeping it covered is really important and it can go all the way from a thin skull cap to a gesture helmet a pretty heavy stocking cap or a cycling cap uh Guys that ride in Alaska have winter helmets and they covered all the holes. They fill all the holes in it and covered them with duct tape so they're completely windproof and snowproof. Uh, a great trick that I learned, actually, I think I learned it from Krista, is next time you're at a motel, get a shower cap and just carry that with you. It's great emergency reindeer for your head. So that takes care of the head. Um, what, one other thing, get okay, what's called a balaclava, which comes down over your ears around your chin around your neck and if it's getting really cold you can use one of those rei sells them all the way from really, i've got really thin polypro ones all the way up to really heavy wool ones that i use skiing but i've always got one of the, those polypro ones with me that can cover my ears cover my chin cover my neck cover my cheeks so forth and so on hands i've talked about how important it is to keep them warm And one of the things that'll get you is wind again. And so I've got my liners, I've got my gloves, and then I've got what we call lobster knits, which are windproof. So a lobster knit, your first two finger are together, and then your ring finger and your little finger are together and slide into this two-slot thing, and then your thumb. And I just ordered from REI. I haven't got them yet, but I think they'll be really cool. The regular gloves and rolled up into the shell is a windproof mitt. So when you need it, you can roll it down. So again, you've got ways of adding covering there. Feet, uh, a lot of people wear booties. I don't happen to suffer from cold feet, but if you do, certainly that's the way to start. Cheap way I used for years use is get a pair of really thick, heavy wool hiking socks that cut a hole in the bottom of your cleats, and they provide added warmth. They're not going to do anything for wind or rain, but if it's just cold, they help. So really think about a way to keep your hands as warm as you need to, your head and your feet.
2: Now I'm thinking of the no such thing as bad weather, or just bad gear. Don't we kind of adapt to our, to where we are? I mean, I love cold weather, but you get me in temperatures above 90. I'm a horrible rider. Um, I've got friends in Southern California and Texas and you know, they talk about how they're just freezing when it's in the fifties and I'm like, I mean that that's ideal. Arm warmers and a vest and you're good to go. But then I've got my limits. If there's snow on the side of the road and it's uh the temperature's below freezing and there's ice, I don't want to go out in that, but I see people riding in it. What do you think?
1: It, a little bit of it is physiological, but but most of it is Mental and knowing what to do, knowing what to wear. Um, I said that I skied 62 days
2: last winter. There's There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify.
1: 72 days. I turned 66, and so my goal is to ski 66 days. Well, I ski in Fraser, where the high for the day might be above zero sometimes, and I wanted to ski. I needed my day, and so mentally, I was ready to go out. I put on, I had enough clothes. I knew how to do it. Uh, I was very careful that I skied into the wind, going out, and then coming back. I had a tailwind, so so I wasn't getting cold. So if you understand what to wear and you're willing to do it, you can go out in really cold conditions and ride, ski, whatever. And you made an important point, George, which is road conditions, ice, snow. That's where I draw the line too. I don't want to ride on anything, ride my bike on anything that's slippery.
2: But some people do. So what kinds of rides do you recommend people do in the winter?
1: Anything that will get you motivated and get you out there. We're talking about rides not on the trainer. And the first and best way is buddy up. I've got a really good friend, John. We ride almost every week. And the weather is not usually what stops us. He had a reason. He, he lives in Denver. I live in Boulder. He had a reason on our – and we ride either Wednesday or Thursday. We just hold those days. And he had to get back to Denver by noon this Wednesday. So we agreed we'd just meet for breakfast that ride but there's nothing like knowing that i'm going to meet john at 10 o'clock and we're going to ride to erie and back and it's it's only 20 miles but it's also only in the 20s but i've got a buddy and i will do it the second thing and again this is part of what john and i do every ride includes a stop for coffee and or lunch so partly that's an opportunity to warm up get inside and partly it's a goal It may only be 20 plus miles to Erie and back, but all I have to do is 12. Then I get to stop and have, you know, brunch. And then I've only got eight back to the car. So that's another important piece. Do the longer part of whatever it is before your break and then a shorter one on the way back. Another good one, if you've got to get in a lot of distance, is to do loops. Uh, A woman that I knew some years ago was committed to doing a century every month. And in January, the weather was just atrocious. So she decided she laid out a 12 and a half mile loop from her house. And she was just going to ride it eight times. And, and what's good about that is you're never more than about six miles from home. And she did. And to make it more interesting, like all of us, she had a lot of bikes. So she rode a different bike every loop. So that, that's another good way to do it. It's got a mechanical, you can get back to your garage without too much problem if you're getting really cold. You can stop in the house and get something warm to drink. You can grab clothes. Now, the only risk of that, of course, is after two laps when you've been playing for, say, eh, this isn't fun. So may not be the best thing. It may be better to arrive to a destination, get warm, and then ride back. Another one that I have clients do who need to build up some endurance is what I call a split workout. I just, I just, I've got a client who lives up in uh, Wyoming, and... Our winters are kind of grim down here, at George, sometimes, but they're even grimmer up in Wyoming. And I told this rider, I want five hours of riding over the weekend. And this client gets to decide, you know, I'm going to do a five hour ride on Sunday, or I'm going to do two and a half Saturday and two and a half Sunday, or I'm going to do two Saturday morning and an hour and a half Saturday afternoon, an hour and a half Sunday morning, and an hour and a half Sunday afternoon. He did the math, right? So break it up into a number of different rides. And in terms of building your endurance, as long as each segment is an hour or more, you're accomplishing what you need to do, even if you've broken it up. Another one is the outdoor-indoor. If somebody really wants to get in a continuous workout, go ride outdoors for 90 minutes in the really crappy weather, and then come in and ride your trainer for another hour. And you've suffered a little in each different situation, but it's not like being stuck in one of them. For two and a half hours so that's another good way to do it finally i run errands uh i got a i've got a friend that works at the, at the paper the daily camera he commutes year-round by bike and it's only eh, probably eight miles north boulder to where it is down with the camera but it doesn't matter what the weather is he's got to go to work and that's what he does when i lived in california worked at stanford university i commuted year-round by bike too and I am mean, gonna just had all the gear, and I knew that I had to do it because I had to get to work, I and mean, I could have driven the car, but I had to get to work, and once you're at work and you're going a car, you've got to get home. So commuting is a good way to do it, running errands, anything to get you out there and moving on the bike. So, but the most important one, come back to what I started with, have somebody you ride with, whether it's your club or a friend, somebody you agree you're going to go ride. So you meet, you've got the psychological motivation to get there. And then you got somebody to talk to. And I find that my friend John, the cold, windy miles, we never really notice them because we're so busy talking about my family's doing this, his family's doing that. Gosh, did you hear that really interesting news story? What do you think about that? Hmm. He works in a bike shop. He's a volunteer in the bike shop. So we talk wrenching a lot. Uh, I talk coaching, coaching a lot. He, he knows all my clients intimately. Can I kind of talk about that? That's what's interesting. So, have a buddy to ride with, I think, is the most important thing.
2: You know, I really like that you brought up the outdoor, indoor. I remember when you assigned me the 18 hour ride before Raw in uh, 2014, and there was a, the day I decided I was going to do it and started at 2 a.m. and uh, went for 18 hours from there. There was a big lightning storm going on, and I thought, "Well, you're an idiot to go out, but I'm doing that training ride today, so I would uh put out forth uh, about a forty five minute effort on the trainer and then take sure. forty five off and do that That was so hard, and I was so happy when I was able to get outside and do the ride outdoors,
1: yeah, the trainer is certainly psychologically harder, and I think it's physically harder um for several reasons. First of all, you, you typically don't stand nearly as much on the trainer as you do outdoors. Your cadence t- tends to be more constant unless you've got a comp trainer or something that generates skills. Uh, and you, you, when was the last time you coasted on the trainer, George?
2: Yeah, never.
1: <laughs> yeah, never. I mean, you, you're pedaling the whole time. So, it's, I mean, it's a rough rule of thumb. It's probably 25% harder than on the road. And I have no idea how many miles I rode on the trainer, and I don't really care. I do know how many hours I put in. And for clients, I don't tell them I want you to ride for an hour on the trainer, or for you know for for 15 miles on the trainer on Saturday. I say I want you to ride for an hour, and here's what the level of intensity is you should be doing it at. And if you think about it that way, level of intensity plus time, that makes it more equivalent to riding on the road about miles um 10 miles on the on the trainer is more like 12 13 miles on the road but intensity is really the key to, to any of these sorts of workouts
2: well and how hard should you go
1: not as hard as you can uh, i've got clients who use power meters i've got clients who use heart rate monitors i used heart rate monitor when i was riding A lot in racing, but I do now what's called rate of perceived exertion, and and I know that's what you use too, George. And it's basically listening to your body and how you feel. So most of these should be at an endurance pace. So, George and I are having a great conversation now. We could be out on our bikes having the same conversation, that would be a good endurance pace. You want to pick that up a little? I love to climb the canyons around Boulder in the summer, not now i love to climb on now because then it's really cold coming down. But the kind of pace that you'd be riding up a sustained climb or into a headwind for quite a while, you can still chat in fairly short sentences, but you can't whistle or sing. You don't have quite enough air for that. So that's a tempo pace. And it has many of the same benefits as the slower endurance pace. Another really useful pace is friend taught me this, the digestion pace, It's the way that you would ride after a big meal. Or Another way to think about it is you should be going so slowly that you hope nobody sees you because it would be embarrassing. That's a real recovery pace. So you want to do that too. And outdoors, I wouldn't go any harder than any of those because what you don't want to do is work up a sweat because then you'll get cold. Indoors, you can throw in some dollops of intensity, not huge amounts. But, you know, a few sprints here and there, a few two- or three-minute efforts. Now, one exception to that, I happen to know where George lives uh, pretty near me. He's on the other side of the hilly loop. I'm I'm kind of the flat side. And it's, well, for me, it's probably 15 minutes of a serious climb to his house. And for you, George, what is it, 10, 12 minutes these days?
2: Yeah, about 12. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's intensity. And I'm certainly working up a sweat when I do that, and George is working up a sweat. But it doesn't matter because George gets out the house, he can get inside,
2: get warm. Right. But, you still have to go home. Right. And, or you can always down stop hill. by and get a drink. You know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I was thinking of uh, the mental work from Recovery Pace and how good that's been for me with the uh, mental training of go your own pace. And what I generally do on a day of a recovery ride is really get decked out in my team kit and go out and ride as slow as I can, because you really have that urge to go faster. And it's like, no, I am doing my pace. And then right. if I can carry that mindset into raw or Ram or an ultra event. It just really helps.
1: Yeah, my buddy John and I do that, too. We are riding our pace. We do not chase rabbits. No. If somebody passes us, we don't care. In fact, we're usually having a better ride if everybody passes us because we're having a good endurance ride and talking a lot. So slow down. Winter is not the time to be going hard.
2: John, can you tell us your website address? com.
1: And there's an article on there about year-round writing that covers all of
2: this. John, always a pleasure to visit with you. Thanks so much for taking the time. You're quite welcome, George. Going the distance with Coach John Hughes. Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer.